Hello, and welcome to another episode of Movies, colon, they're pretty good. I'm your host, Travis Dudding, and today we are tackling another Stanley Kubrick movie. Uh, one, one of his uh, most notorious, probably. Uh, today we're talking about A Clockwork Orange, 1971. All right, let's get right into it. Okay, so we open on a shot of... Alex DeLarge, played by Malcolm McDowell, and he's staring right into camera, and we see that he has uh, makeup on his one eye, like kind of like an accentuated uh, eyebrow, or eyelash, not eyebrow, accentuated eyelashes um, painted on. Uh, this is on his right? Yeah, on his right eye. Uh, left to us looking at him, but his right eye. And we slowly zoom out from him and we see uh him sitting with some other people that are dressed similar to him they're all wearing like white uh all white with like uh and then black bowler hats and top hats that type of thing um they got like uh almost like workout gear on top like over it and then they got like a jock strap and everything like that so just like a very distinct unique uh iconic outfits you know easily like immediately recognizable so we're slowly zooming out we see that they're in this like kind of it's very 60s british like uh, i forget the name of the style but it is like it's very austin powers reminiscent you know um british British sixties. That's, that's the vibe that it is. Um, you got all these, uh, statues of, uh, nude women. They're like all like white except for the hair and like is, is the only color. And, you know, and then that's, that's all the hair, you know, you got like, uh, like purple wig and purple pubes on the statue. And they're like, um, it's like the coffee tables are these statues and then they also just have them like around the bar and everything like that. And then we hear, uh, Alex is narrating and he's talking about that they're at the Corova milk bar and that the milk is laced with uh different, um, I'm guessing drugs. Like he's just saying a bunch of like nonsense words because it's supposed to take place in like this totalitarian dystopian future England and like the dialogue is very out there but it's it's not hard to follow either it's like they're saying just a bunch of words but you could it's it's super easy to follow along for whatever reason even though like I have the subtitles on it's like I don't know what they mean but I know what they mean you know it's it's hard to explain but if you if you've seen it then you know what I'm talking about so it's saying that they um they choose this specific uh Ah, and I forgot to write it down, but um, the milk that they are drinking, whatever it's laced fit with, it help, it makes them like more ready for a bit of the old ultra violence, as he says. So they're drinking that, and then it uh, cuts to them walking around, and then they're like under, they're like in a tunnel, like under a road. I'm assuming, like maybe an overpass, that that type of thing. Uh, and there's this drunk guy singing, like probably homeless but they don't they never state um and he's just laying there in the gutter singing he's got liquor bottles around him and then they walk up to him and 
after he's done singing, they all applaud or whatever. Then he asks them for money. And Alex puts his uh, cane in, onto his uh, stomach and just starts pressing on him. And he's hurting him and everything. And uh, we get this, like, this really cool close-up shot of uh, Alex in profile. And we see that the we can see his breath, so we know it's cold out there. Um, and he's just, it's very threatening and intimidating and everything. And, uh, very, it's very scary. Like it's very, uh, yeah, like I wouldn't want to mess with them. And, uh, I just really, that stuff, that shot really like stood out to me and I was like, Oh, I got to write that down. Um, and then of course they beat him up. Of course, you know, because that's kind of the whole thing with this movie. It's talking about this, like in this future, that violence is just completely out of hand and everyone's getting into it. It's all these little gangs and everything, and they're just beating people up all the time and everything like that. But more like we'll keep getting into that. Um, cuts away from that into a uh, we can hear a woman screaming and we see like a painting on the ceiling of this theater and then it zooms down and like we get from the narration that it's this other rival gang uh billy boy and they're assaulting this woman in the theater and that's who we're hearing screaming they're taking her clothes off and everything they're like sexually assaulting her and uh it's not until alex and his gang who are waiting in the shadows at the back of the theater make themselves known and then they they stop and they let her go and she takes off running and uh like it's it's like okay good they didn't rape her but also it's like well like it's still that's still a super traumatic experience you know so it's like you know it's like a sigh of relief but also like shit that's still like gonna mess her up you know that and that's just how that's just how this movie is and i think that's the whole point of it is just that it's just these terrible things happening. And this is in 1971. And it's like, I don't think it got quite as bad as they assumed, but they're not that far off. You know, it's still, it's still bad out there. And so then they, uh, then the, this fight breaks out with the, between the two rival gangs. And they're like literally doing like every, stunt you could possibly do in a choreographed fight scene that's like jumping from the balcony and throwing into tables and throwing through windows and doing flips and getting thrown in the air and all, all kinds of stuff and it looks it looks very cool it's a very fun scene um visually like very visually stimulating um but then the fight's cut short because they hear the police coming, so they all run away and split up. Um, and then we get this uh, cool driving scene uh, where it's it's them in this uh, convertible, like futuristic convertible car. Um, it's uh, Alex is driving, and he's in the front, and you got one other guy sitting in the seat, but the other two are like sitting like up on the back of the car. You know what I mean? Um, Cause it's, it's presumably like a two seater convertible and they're, so they're just like sitting like on the back of the, like on the trunk basically. And they're just driving super fast down these country roads. Um, but also like what I love about the shot is that it, it is 
like in front of like a not a green screen because this is prior to that technology, but it is like that type of thing. It's like a projected background of them driving and they're just like sitting in the car, like pretending that it's moving. Um, and it's like, it's a, it's so, it's such a like cheesy when you think about it. It's so simple, but it, it's, I mean, it's just that Kubrick touch. I'm pretty sure that just makes it look incredible. It's like, this is the simplest shittiest special effect but it's like in the hands of stanley kubrick it just looks amazing and iconic and maybe it is just like their outfits and everything like that that it's just like wow like that it's just burned in my head that image always and um so they're driving like super chaotically they're going uh like under the trailer of a truck that's like stuck in the road and they just like duck down and drive under that and because it's like a really low car and everything and they're running people off the roads and just laughing and laughing and then uh oh yeah the name of the car is a durango 95 um and then that makes me wonder if like that any has anything to do with like Dodge Durango, like when they came up with that name, like, oh, like a little bit of a reference into this future car from A Clockwork Orange. Probably not. I'm probably dumb. Anyways. So they come up to this uh, house and there's talking, uh, he's talking in the narration, like, oh, we're going to do like the surprise visit is like what they're doing. So they're basically sneaking up into this rich house. Uh, that they find on the road. It's um, it's just got like a, a lit up sign like by the road that just says home, which is interesting. Um, gated thing, uh, but they like just sneak up to it. They you know hop the fence and they're sneaking through the yard and going up to the house and they knock on the door and they're um, and it's uh we then we see on the inside we see a guy sitting at a desk on a typewriter and he's typing so writer presumably there's a whole bunch of books behind him and everything like that um and they hear the doorbell ring and uh uh he's like oh like who do you suppose that could be and or who on earth do you think that could be i i don't have the exact quote um but and looks over at the wife and she's in this like futuristic egg like couch thing They're, like a pod almost and she's like oh i'll go check she goes to the door and um she has it like the the chain and everything so it's just cracked and um and alex is there and he's like hey the, like there's been a terrible accident like we need to use your phone and she's like oh we don't have a telephone which that's like an obvious lie but it is just like also a good thing to do because you don't want just anybody coming in your house and especially if it's like this where everyone's just in these violent gangs and causing all this harm out there in the public but then he's like persisting he's like please like my friend he's like bleeding out here and then she she's saying no like uh like no just go away like I'm sorry, I can't let you in. We don't have a phone. But then the husband asks the writer, and he's like, hey, like, what's going on? And then they're like, oh, they say there's been an accident. And he's like, oh, like, well, you know, so he has, like, he has the heart, but he's not thinking all the way through. So he's like, oh, I guess we better let him in. And I'm saying that as someone who knows what's going to happen. So I have the, like, foresight to know, like, that something terrible is going to happen. But, uh... 
and maybe it is because of like all the movies like this that I am like so wary of well it doesn't even need to be just movies like you just got to read the news and know like you should be wary of anybody that you don't know personally and you should be wary of the people that you know because it uh, is bad out there i'm sorry guys anyways back to this uh (laughs) back to this movie all right so let him in and immediately like as soon as they like come in the door then immediately they are like push the wife against the wall and then she's screaming and like she realizes that oh they have these masks on and they have weapons so this is not good and but they they grab her immediately so it's like nothing she could do immediately pin the husband down and throw him on the ground and like the he's like sitting on his back with his knee and his back and everything with his hands behind he ties him up uh I don't know what they use, but they gag him too. And, uh, then they gag her. There, one guy just had, like, the dim is the bigger of the, the droogs is what they're called. Like that. And I, uh, I used to think that that was just like a term for his gang, but then I realized that he's just that all of the gangs, like that's like the name for like uh, the minions or the, uh, workers the grunts and stuff like that for the for these gangs and everything and alex is the leader and then the followers are the droogs so one of them dim the bigger one he's got he's got the wife over his shoulder and husband's pinned to the ground they gag him uh and then as this is happening alex starts singing singing in the rain and it's just like it's such a. I'm just, oh, all right. I just love the contrast. Well, it's it sounds weird to say, but I like the contrast of the horrible imagery with this delightful music, and it's you know Kubrick's not the only one to do this. It it does happen like in other movies, and I don't know if this. I'm not gonna say like oh this is the first that happens because that's how you like get called out and everything it's like no like this has happened like 50 times like kubrick's not the first to do it um but i do enjoy when that happens because i think the the contrast makes it scarier makes the scary thing scarier always take like you know this isn't like top tier cinema but take insidious how it's this scary movie and then you have tiny tim's uh tiptoe through the tulips which is like just this cute little song uh like delightful song with all these scary things happening so now we have singing in the rain and this horrible um which ends up being a rape happening because they're cutting her clothes off and we don't see anything like actually happen other than her clothes being removed and her being gagged and everything and the we see a little bit of the husband's face we see alex take his own pants off and then uh just continues to sing the whole time and then it cuts away and they get away and everything and they're back at the uh back at the Corova milk bar um one of them i forget uh it's pete and george but i get their um 
I get them mixed up. I forget who is who. So it's Alex, Pete, George, and Dim. Um, but one of them goes up to one of these statues that's not the, like, coffee table woman. But it's, like, a woman, like, on her knees uh, with her hands behind her head. Kind of, like, bending forward. Um, and then he, like, walks up to the statue and, like, pulls a glass out. And then the milk is dispensed from the nipples of the statue so very interesting but it's like very on the nose too it's like oh duh like if you're gonna have these like naked statues in a milk bar then (laughs) where else would it come from uh so they're sitting at a table and you know in in the narration he's saying like oh there's these uh uh, upper class people from the TV station around the corner. They're at, also at the bar and you can kind of hear their conversation and everything. He's eavesdropping. And during the like between songs where like the music kind of fades and uh, the lady in the group is start singing and uh, she's singing. Um, I forget what song it is, but it is like a operatic classical music and alex is a big fan of classical music we'll come to find out specifically ludwig van beethoven and so he's like very interested in her singing and she's like uh you know just like casually singing and when she's done dim does like a to her and that pisses alex off because he was enjoying the singing and he takes his cane and whacks dim right in the dick and then he's like oh like why'd you do that and everything and then so they're and he just like threatens him like hey well first dim threatens alex and and he's like what are you gonna do about it basically like puts him back in his place like no like i'm the leader you're nothing uh like what do you think you could possibly do to me that type of thing so that just kind of messes up the whole dynamic of the group and everything. And everyone's like on edge now. So he goes home for the night. Um, see him walking like through this um, like courtyard between like apartment complexes and everything. And there's just trash everywhere. And I think that's just like supposed to accentuate this like dystopian future that they're showing. Gets in the lobby of the apartment building and there's trash everywhere in there there's just like a random bra hanging from the stair rails and everything like that and you're just hoping that whatever removal of that bra was consensual but given how the rest of the movie's been so far it's doubtful and so he gets up to his room he's getting ready for bed and everything um we see him put uh he, we, oh yeah, he takes his wa- takes a watch off, um, and then empties his pockets. He's got like a wallet and a watch and everything, just like stuff from the people he's been beating up all night, and puts it in this drawer. And it's full of watches and wallets and money and things like that. Just all these stolen goods. Opens up another one of his drawers, and he's got a pet snake in there. Um, so he's holding the snake and everything. And then he gets over to the, uh, um. He gets over to the stereo. He pulls out this tiny cassette of uh, uh, Ludwig van Beethoven, obviously. And uh, but what's funny is like 
the that's as far ahead into the future as they could see was that like it's still cassettes but they're just smaller and like they did have like small cassettes but they were like for answering machines and everything like that that's how old i am i remember like when the answering machine now voicemail had little tiny cassette tapes anyways moving on from that so he's put on puts on beethoven and then he's uh just kind of staring at the art on his wall and uh and then it's like so he's got this wall this picture of this woman like with her uh legs open uh, like a, a painting not like a photograph but then he has this like statue of four jesus's like they're all in the same pose but almost like they're holding each other like are like arm in arm that type of thing uh but they still have like the um like the stigmata like the the nails in the hands and the feet and everything like that they got the crown of thorns uh but they're also completely naked too and it's just like it's weird um don't know the purpose of it other than it is just like well I kind of know because later on he kind of gets into it, but so I'll just more on that later. But yeah, he's just like staring at that. But then he has this like montage of visions of all these like violent things happening, like a woman being hung on the gallows and these explosions and just like blood coming out of someone's face because they're getting beat up. And then it's him as like a vampire and there's blood coming out of his mouth. And then it just like it shows his face and then he's like talking about, um, having these images well he's i think he says like slushing and i don't know if that means he's like masturbating because you don't see like any movement that would indicate that but he's also just like he's a little too into whatever he's like picturing and while he's staring at staring at the wall so anyways goes to sleep you see him wake up in the morning Um, his mom goes in to wake him up and says, like, hey, like, it's time for school. So then this is where we find out that he's, like, a teenager that's in, still in high school. And that's, like, crazy, especially with what's been going on so far. And she's like, and he's like, oh, no, I'm sick. Like, I'm just going to sleep it off. And she's like, well, he we haven't been to school all week. But, you know, he's his mom. You could tell his mom is a little bit of a pushover than his dad, too, when you later see him. Um, so they uh, parents go to work and everything. Uh, then we see Alex get up and he's walking around the house in his little tidy whitey underwear. Uh, and he walks past uh the parents bedroom and then there's a guy there and he's like oh uh mr deltoid like what are you doing here and then he's like oh it's like ran into your mom like on the way to work and she said to come check on you and gave me the key to the house and everything like that um so he's just like and it's weird because he's just like sitting there on the bed and he's being like super creepy too, but I don't know if it's like that's just who he is or if he does have like weird intentions. We kind of get that he is like a like a parole officer type. So Alex has been in trouble before and he had to go to this. Um, I forget what the term was, but it's some kind of school for like troubled people. So that's and so he's basically like, hey, like if you mess up again, then like there's nothing more then it's, you're just going to go to jail you know like there's no go to a 
special school. It's just, you're done after that. Um, but it's weird because he's like sitting. Uh, so Alex is like sitting next to him on the bed and he's like in his underwear with this like older man, this middle aged man is being, has like a weird vibe to him and everything. And then they're like laying down, they're, like lays down next to him and everything like that. And then like at the, like threatens him by like, punching alex in the dick basically in his underwear and it's so fucking weird but i'm just like all right like whatever it's I, maybe that ah, yeah i don't know it's you can either look way into it or it is just like very simple on the nose like hey this guy's a creep and that's it you know uh so cuts away from that scene and we see alex like all dressed up. He's at the record store, um, just browsing around. And then he sees these, uh, two young girls and they're looking at records. And so he like inserts himself into between them and starts browsing in that rack and then starts talking to them and kind of flirting with them. And he's like, Oh, like what kind of record player do you have at home? I bet you have one of those cheap, uh, like picnic ones, like come to my house and like, we can listen to it on like a real stereo. And then it cuts to them back at the house, but it's like, it's sped up. Um, like the entire scenes, like in fast forward, basically. And it's, uh, being played, uh, the William tell overture is being played and it just shows them like there, they're listening to music. They're taking their clothes off. They're, still walking around and then they're having sex and then they're listening to music again and back to the bed and that you know it's just super fast forward and just everything that happens and then that's it that's the end of that scene um so then we see the droogs are waiting in the lobby of the apartment um they're just like sitting around and alex comes downstairs like hey like what are you guys doing here and they're like, oh, like, you know, we didn't see you earlier today. So we thought maybe something was up. So we came to check on you, basically. But they have this, like, very full of themselves, sarcastic tone about them. And, uh, like, like, they have, like, some kind of ulterior motive, basically. And, uh, but Alex is picking up on this. And he's just like, God. Uh, Dim's like sitting in this low chair and he like straddles him and then like sits on his lap and just like gets right in his face and starts like being all threatening and intimidating again. Um, and the other guy that's standing up is saying like, Oh, like that's the thing. Like you got to be nice to dim now. Like that's part of the new way. And Alex is like, what new way? And so basically they're like, Hey, like, we'll be part of this group, but there has to be some changes and everything like that. And so Alex is kind of playing along, like, okay, like whatever you say. Uh, but then as they're walking away, we see a slow motion of them. Uh, they're walking down this, uh, sidewalk next to the water. And, um, in the narration, Alex is saying that like, Oh, like I was calm on the outside, but I was angry on the inside. And all it took was to hear uh, Beethoven playing from someone's window to really put me over the edge. So he hears the song and then just uh, like grabs his cane and whacks uh, one guy in the stomach and 
then it starts pushing him into the water. And then, so that's the one guy, I think it's George and Dim are in the water. And Pete's just like, shit, like I'm out of here. He runs away. Um, uh, and then like Alex goes to like pull Dim out of the water, but then he has a knife behind his back and slices Dim's hand. And then like after this whole like slow motion ordeal, then it cuts to them at a restaurant and everyone's all like sullen except for Alex, of course, because he got his way. It's like you put everyone back in their place, like, hey, maybe don't try to mutiny me anymore and we won't have any problems. Like now you're back to where you're supposed to be, like below me, and that's it. Um So then they're talking about like, oh, we know a place like we can hit, like I have an idea. So let's go, like, there's this uh, health club, and during this time of year, it's just this uh, one lady there by herself with all her cats. So it's going to be very easy to, like, get in there and do whatever we want. So they get there. Uh, we see her, like, she's doing yoga. Um, there's, like, 20 cats in the room with her. Um then same thing with the doorbell. Well, th- it's not a doorbell. They're like hitting the like the letter flap in the door. So it's just like making a really loud noise and everything. And she's like, what the hell? And she goes down and checks on it. They're trying to do the same thing with the, hey, there's been an accident. My friend, he's bleeding on the road. Like, please, we need a telephone. But she's not falling for it. She's like, uh, no, like there's a you could try the pup a mile down the road. Um, and Alex is like, oh, like, I understand, like, there's a lot of bad people out here, so I get it, like, and then says, like, oh, like, like, he's gonna leave, but she's still, like, very suspicious of it, uh, so as they're, like, going to the back of the house, because they're gonna break in that way, she goes and phones the police, and is like, hey, like, something weird happened, there's these guys here, or this guy was here, and he was saying that there was an accident, but, it um it stuck out to me because i re- it was something about the words that he said and i recognized them from the paper when i read about the the writer and his wife so she recognized the story because he used the same exact like scheme on her that he did with the writer and his wife so she's like oh like i i'm one step ahead basically so the police are already notified but as she hangs up then she sees Alex on the door. So he's already gotten in. And uh, so he's waiting by the door and she's like, who the hell are you? How'd you get in here? And they kind of have a, like a little standoff uh, vocally for a little bit. And uh, but then she picks up a statue and goes to attack him. And cause she's like, Oh, like, you know, you're, not gonna take me i'm gonna like fight you off basically and he picks up this like uh like rocking penis sculpture that's on the desk and he's also been like messing with it like trying to intimidate her like and she's like don't touch that like because it's an expensive art piece and um so he kept messing with it and he picks that up that's like his weapon and they're like kind of Try he she's like trying to hit him, but she's like I don't know. I feel like if she just like let go of the statue and threw it at his head, that it would have helped. But uh, she does end up like hitting him with it, and he's knocked to the ground. But it's not enough, so he's able to get up and get his like 
sculpture and then he like i'm guessing smashes her in the face with it because they don't like show it hit but based on like the camera because the camera's kind of like going in at her face like as he's like one two three like basically and just whacks her in the face but then he hears the sirens and he's like oh shit i gotta get out of here um so he gets downstairs and as soon as he gets outside to his droogs that are waiting for him at the front door they smash him over the head with a glass milk bottle and he's bleeding he's like oh jesus i can't see i'm blind like and they run off so and leave him to get caught by the cops which he does so he gets arrested Um, we see him in the, at the police station. He's in the interrogation room. They're trying to get some information out of him. He's not giving anything up. And he's, he's trying to say like, Hey, it's like, it's my droog's fault. Like they talked me into it. I didn't want to do it. You know, usual bullshit. And, uh, then, uh, Mr. Deltoid shows up the weird guy from the bed and everything. And he's there and he's just like laughing at him. He's like, Oh, like, like, I tried to warn you, you're stupid, you're caught now, there's nothing you can do, and now you've graduated to murderer. And he's like, what are you talking about? I didn't kill anybody. And he's like, yeah, that lady that, like, I just came from the hospital. She just died. And so now they got him for murder. So apparently, like, it's easy to get away with uh, just beating people up and raping people, but murder is like, nope, that's the no-no. So I just I feel like a lot of people get away with the other things. I mean, some people get away with murder here, too. So, not, you know. For being from 1971, still very prominent. Um, relevant. Prominent. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, we see him. He gets sentenced to 14 years in prison. Uh, see a scene of him getting processed in. Um... Then it cuts to him in uh, church, and some one of the other prisoners is making like kissy faces at him, and that's pissing off the guard. And but you know, there's nothing the guard's like doing about it. Um, then we see him like in the library, and he's reading the Bible because he's like trying to act like he's a like he's going to be reformed and he's going to be a good person after this and everything. So he's like very. Uh, just playing the part basically to like fool everybody. Um, and, uh, we see him, he's, he's reading the Bible and then he's having these, uh, dream or fantasies about, uh, cause he's talking about like, Oh, like I love ultraviolence and everything like that. Then there's a lot of it in this book, the Bible. And he's like, uh, picturing himself as one of the Roman soldiers at Jesus's crucifixion, because then he could be like torturing and everything like that. And then we see him like fantasizing as being uh, like in a battle from the old Testament. Cause he says, it's like, Oh, like the new, the later stuff in the Bible is like too preachy. I like the old stuff with the wars and the, multiple wives and all that stuff. So he's, we just see him picturing himself in various uh, places like that or scenarios like that. Um, so then the, um, the priest comes and talks to him and he's like, Hey, like, uh, he's just, and then he's just like playing his part. Like, Oh, like, um, you know, 
would you say that I've been like good since I've been here? And you know, he's just kind of like buttering up the priest and everything like that. And then he uh, is talking to the priest and he's like, Hey, like, uh, have you heard of that? Um, I've been hearing about this, uh, new treatment coming along. Uh, and I was wondering if you could put in a good word for me and the, and the priest is like, it's like, how did you hear about the Ludovico treatment? And he's like, oh, like, you know, overhear people talking. I've seen the news clippings and stuff like that. And he's like, well, it's a highly experimental treatment and it's not come to this prison yet. And I don't know if it will. So then we see a um, uh, inspection from like... Uh, I thought it was the warden, but it turns out that it's the uh, minister of the interior of Great Britain, and he's there uh, to find basically a candidate for this treatment at this prison. And we see him going into the cells. He's in Alex's cell. He's like looking at everything. You got like uh, pictures of naked women on the wall, like you would see in like most like prison cells probably but then he notices the beethoven uh bust and uh like a picture of beethoven and he's like intrigued by that he's like oh like a little impressed and everything too and then uh we go out to the prisoners they're all lined up and everything and he's looking at them like one at a time and he's kind of talking about this uh treatment and alex uh butts in and says like like agrees with them so he's basically trying to butter up the minister now and it works because the guards like yelling at him like like shut up you're not supposed to be talking and then the minister's like oh no like what's your name and like starts talking to him and everything and then right then and there set decides that alex is going to be the one that is goes through this experimental treatment and the other people are like, well, don't don't you want to see the other cell blocks or the other prisons? And he's like, nope, he's the one. Like, that's it. Oh, and another thing we get uh, that's kind of like a tossed away line is that the minister's talking about like, oh, like these petty criminals are like taking up so much room in these prisons that will and but we're gonna need the room for political prisoners. So now, like we're getting our first taste of how like shady the government is being, and you don't like get a lot of like head-on information about it. It's just these throwaway lines here and there, basically. A little bit more towards the end, you find out some concrete stuff, but it is just like little snippets like this that you might not even notice if you're not watching it for the fifth sixth time uh so he's uh being transferred to the ludovico medical facility uh where he will undergo his treatment we see him like uh in the prisoner transfer process he's got his regular clothes back on uh he gets uncuffed and put into the custody of the officer that's there gets taken to his room and he's uh sitting there in bed he's reading a magazine he's eating food like regular food again and then here comes a doctor with a nurse and starts asking him questions like hey like uh i'm the assistant to the main doctor and uh so I just have to like ask you some questions and give you some uh, medications. And so he gets uh, injected with a bottle or, or with a 
experimental serum number 114 uh because it zooms in on the bottle so uh then they don't go into detail because he's asking he's trying to ask some questions like hey what's in there and he's like is it gonna make me sleep and she's like no nothing like that um and she says it's for malnourishment uh so that's why he needs to take it with his food but that you know that's it's suspicious and so he gets injected with that and so he's like oh uh and she's saying like so we'll start the treatment soon uh and he's asking like how it's gonna be and he's like oh and she says that we're gonna show you a series of films and he's like oh like going to the pictures like that'll be nice and everything um but then we see him uh so he's in a theater but he's like strapped into a chair. And so yeah, this is the next scene, by the way, uh, he's strapped in like in a straight jacket and then strapped into this, like almost like a dental chair. Cause he's like leaned back a little bit. Uh, and then they put these lid locks on his eyelids to keep his eyes open. And there's like uh, a helmet with these uh, like sensors on his uh like trying to like read his brain uh activity i'm sure uh like neural sensors and uh there's a guy next to him that's like putting in eye drops because you know his eyes are being left open and they want him to be able to see what's gonna happen so then the film in quotes starts and he's like and the narration he's saying like oh if you know started out great at first like and it's just uh, this uh, video of, uh, and he said it's like, he's commenting on the quality. It's like, oh, it's like something you would see like made in Hollywood. Um, like that, that's how like quality the video was, I guess. Uh, and it's this, just this man getting beaten up and they're dressed and it's the same thing. They're like dressed similarly as his like droogs, just the hats are different. Like one's wearing like a pirate hat pretty much. Um and it's just this man getting beaten up by this like gang of people and it's uh, like zooming in on his face and the blood's coming out and everything like that. And, but like Alex is just enjoying it at this point. Um, and he says like, okay, then it was on to the next film and it's this uh, woman uh, being raped by this gang of men. And, and he's saying like, Oh, like that's, you know, it's like saying that it was fine at first, but once it got to like the sixth or seventh guy, then he started to feel sick. And then you could see his expression changing like, okay, like what's going on? Like this, this is something I like and it's like making me feel bad. Like what's happening. And he starts to freak out a little bit. Um, so then he's, uh, but then it cuts to the doctor who's in the back of the room and he's saying like that he's going to start to experience a death-like paralysis and thoughts of like impending fear and helplessness and all this stuff. Like basically like describing like sleep paralysis almost, um, that that's what he's going to be going through. Cause he's just like sitting there being exposed to all this like terrible footage and he can't like look away from it. He can't close his eyes or anything like that. So he just has to like absorb it basically he has no choice, but to, um, so then we see him talking to the assistant doctor again. And, um, she's like asking him how he's feeling. He's like, uh, feeling a little sick. Like, I don't understand. Like, 
why I felt sick like that. And she's like, it means that you're getting better, uh, but you're not there yet. Like, like it's, it's the normal thing would to feel would be to feel sick and horrified by seeing those things. Like it wasn't normal if you were to enjoy it. So like the fact that you felt sick means that like you're on the right track. And she said like, Oh, you're going to have two sessions tomorrow. And he's like, oh, like worried about that. Is like, oh my god, like one was bad enough. Like I can't imagine two. So second, uh, um, second day, uh, first film we see is just uh, footage of Hitler, the Nazis, uh, World War Two stuff, just like all the horrors of war, all these bad things happening. Um, they don't show it in the movie but uh we hear alex talk about it later that there was like concentration camp footage so just showing all this again just horrible stuff just a different and then uh but then alex is realizing that the music that they're playing is beethoven and specifically beethoven's ninth and this is like this is what puts him over the edge and he starts screaming he's like no like you can't do this it's a sin like why would you put beethoven over all this like horrible stuff and the doctor's like hey like that you know that it is what it is like it can't be helped uh you know and then he's like talking to the doc the other doctor he's like you know this like now it's like still a punishment and everything. So it like works out and it sucks that he uh, like kind of just basically like, ah, it sucks for him. Like now he's going to hate Beethoven. He's going to have the same like reaction to Beethoven as he is to these violent things. And, but yeah, Alex is still freaking out about it and everything. Um, so now it cuts to the uh, demonstration like of him being cured and everything. And in the narration, he's talking about that, uh, that it's been two years uh, since he went into prison because they didn't really explain that how long he had been in there before he went in the treatment. This is the first mention of it. So it has been two years. And uh, so we see like a, a group of people. We see the people from the prison. We see the minister, uh, the doctors, everybody. Uh, is there uh, to to see like if the treatment worked basically is he cured is he reformed and it starts out with it, it's Alex on stage and then uh, some random guy comes out and slaps him in the face and then just starts uh, beating him up basically and he's like yelling at him and he's like what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna do about it and he like kind of like steps on his face and he's makes him lick the bottom of his shoe and everything like that. And like Alex can't do anything about it because like the thought of doing anything violent is just makes him sick to his stomach now. Um, so that after a while, then the, um, they call him off. It's like, okay, like that's enough. And the guy like bows, like it was a, like a play and everything and goes off stage and then comes out this woman, um, not fully nude. She's topless, but she has like a white underwear and then she has like a silver wig on and everything. And she's like, she's lit very like sparkly and like almost like it's a dream sequence type thing. And then Alex is like, looks up at her and he's like, like, Oh no, like, 
like he's having like the feelings that he used to have about women and everything like that. So he's having those compulsions and everything. And she just walks up to him and she's like standing over him while he's like knelt on the ground. Cause he's still on the ground from when he got beat up basically, but he's not up on his knees now. And he goes to like grab her, but he can't like, as soon as his hands get up, like to grab her breast, then it just, then he starts to feel like, overcome with the sickness again and he just can't do it and he just starts like belching and like uh his hands like kind of like clench up and he falls down to the ground and then the they're like okay that's enough and she does her bow and everything like it was a play and goes off stage and then they're like okay like that's it like he's reformed and everything and everyone's applauding and so he gets released and he's back out into the real world. We see him go home and uh, he's at his house. He walks in and everything. Uh, he goes, uh, walks to his room, but then uh, it's different. There's like a bunch of different stuff on the walls. The bed's different. He's like, okay, what's going on? And he goes to the living room. So it's weird that he like, walked into the house and no one's like who's here you know <laughs> got up to look but his parents and some other guy that we haven't seen are sitting on in the living room and they're all like oh my god like alex like what are you doing here because they had like no idea that he was coming home and they're like oh we just read about it in the newspaper because you see the article saying that like he was reformed and everything like that and that he got released from prison and He's like, you could tell that they're like visibly nervous about him being there. Like, cause I, I mean, I would be too. Like you find out your son murdered somebody and then he's just like randomly home only two years later. It's like, uh, okay. What are you doing here? Um, and they're like, and he could see that they're nervous and everything. And he's like, ah, oh, not, not to worry. I'm completely reformed. And you know, he's all proud and everything. But then he's like, I can't help but notice a, like, there's another person in the room and they're like, Oh, that's Joe. He's uh, a lodger. He's uh, renting your room basically. And he's been here for a couple of years now. Um, and so, and then, but then Joe's like, hey, like, I know, I know who you are. I know what you've done and just kind of like making him feel bad about it. Like as he should, you know, he's was a bad person. He still is probably. And, uh, uh, so he's like getting all in Alex's face and Alex goes to punch him, but he can't like as soon as he gets his fist up, then he starts getting sick and belching again. And they're like, oh, like, you know, what are we going to do? And then the mom's like getting upset. She's crying. And and Joe's like, look what you've done to your family. And like, you're going to come here and hurt them again. And so basically, you know just making him feel bad. And then he's like, okay, like, well, if I don't get to stay here, where's all my stuff? And his dad tells him like, well, we had to sell it. And it's like the government came and took it and like sold it as like a form of compensation for the victim's families. And I was like, okay, like, well, what about my snake? And he's like, well, it was like an accident and the snake died. So now he has like nothing. He can't, he can't stay there cause they're not going to kick Joe out. And so he can't, he can't live at home. And so he's just on his own now and he doesn't have any of his stuff. He doesn't have a snake. So he's just back out on the streets. So he walks out there 
uh, he's walking around. He's got his uh, possessions that he got back after being in prison and everything. And walking down, he's just like kind of looking into the water, like by a bridge and everything and kind of spacing out and contemplating and everything. And uh, a homeless man comes up and asks him for money. And we realize that it's the same one that he beat up at the beginning of the movie. And uh, so he gives him some money and the man says, thanks. But then he notices his face and he's like, hey, like, I I don't forget a face. You're the one that like almost killed me back then. And then he like starts grabbing him and stuff and takes him over to the tunnel. And there's a whole bunch of homeless people there and they just all gang up on him and just like beat him up. They take his clothes, the ones that he was holding in the bag. Um and everything like that. And then they all start to scatter because some police show up, but he looks up at the police officers and it's dim. And one of the other ones, I don't remember if it's Peter George, but it's, it's two of his old droogs and they're cops now. And they're like, Oh, like, you know, we grew up. So we got grown up jobs and, but they're like, still, they're still the same people, you know? So they, beat him up a little bit and then they throw him in a car they drive him out to the middle of the woods uh take him out um and there's this uh like metal bathtub full of water dirty water and they dunk his head in there dims hold him in the water while the other guy's like hitting him with the nightstick and just beating him while he's like drowning basically and then eventually like when he's like moving less then they take him out and everything and just leave him there in the middle of the woods like half drowned like almost dead and everything and then they just leave so then he's like wandering around and it starts raining and everything. And we hear in the narration, it's like, I was so out of it from everything that I didn't realize what house I had arrived at. And it's the house where the writer and the wife were, where they snuck in before and attacked them. So he ends up at that house. He's ringing the doorbell and it's a, uh, I like the parallel of the writer is at the typewriter again. And he says the exact same thing that he said to his wife. It was like, who do you suppose that could be like at this hour? And, but it pans over and his wife's not there. It's this uh, buff guy working out. He's benching something and he's like, Oh, I'll go check. And he walks away and he's like wearing like this, like, workout speedo thing uh it's actually david prouse the man who was in the darth vader costume not the voice of darth vader that's james earl jones i'm sure you guys know that but uh yeah so it's darth vader he goes to answer the door um and he's like hey like i got beat up by the police and everything and so he brings him in and the um, we see that the rider is in a wheelchair now. So he kind of wheels over. He's like, oh, what's going on? And he's like slowly starting to recognize him. But he's only recognizing him as the guy from the newspaper. Because there's the newspaper article saying like, hey, this guy got this experimental treatment. And he used to be a criminal. And now he's reformed. So he's like, oh, my God, it's that guy. Like, okay, like, come in. Like, we'll get you cleaned up. And he's saying like, hey, like, the police brought me out here to beat me up. And, um, the writer, he's like this, uh, uh, activist, basically like subversive writer saying like, okay, like the government's corrupt. 
I knew it. Like we going to take care of you. I have some political friends that I want you to meet and stuff like that. So he's like seeing this as this opportunity, like, Hey, I'm going to take down the corrupt government because right in here, I have a witness to how corrupt they are. Cause they like did this experimental procedure on me and tortured me. And now I get out and then the police just attack me. and I'm a victim and everything like that. So that's how he's seeing it. Um, and then, uh, so like, okay. Um, uh, like it t- tells, uh, David Prowse, uh, I think Julian, yeah, Julian is his name. Um, like, Hey, Julian, like go set, uh, run a bath for him, uh, and get him all cleaned up and then you can, uh, eat and everything. Um, so Alex is in the bath and he's sitting there and he starts humming, singing in the rain. And I think to him, like, everything was so normal like when the attack and the rape and everything happened that he's not putting that together like hey i was singing this song and everything because to him it's just like whatever you know it's not that's not going to stick out to him so all he's thinking is like hey i was in the rain i have singing in the rain stuck in my head and he starts singing it uh meanwhile Frank, the writer in the wheelchair, he's on the phone with his political friends and he's like, oh, this is like the perfect opportunity. Yeah, he's here. I'll keep him here and everything like that. Uh, So he, he is seeming like sinister, even though he hasn't put the pieces together yet. But as soon as he gets off the phone and he can hear what Alex is singing, that's where it clicks in his head. And we see like this uh, shot from like below as he's like got his like head towards the door um and he's like almost like seizing but like it's hard to explain it like i could show you but i can't like on the podcast but um it's very reminiscent of in the shining when uh danny and uh oh man what's his name the scatman carruthers character ah, i forgot his name um but uh, when they're like connecting and like realizing like what's going on with the the ghosts and everything, uh, it reminds me of that. So another like thing that Kubrick like brought back later on, which I really like when he when directors do that. Um, so yeah, he's uh that at this point he's put it together that this is the same man that came into my home, uh, attacked me and my wife. And like, and I got him basically. So, uh, Alex gets out of the bath. He comes down and, uh, comes and sits at the table. There's like a place setting for him with a plate of spaghetti and a glass of wine and a bottle. And he sits down and just helps himself to the food and everything. Um, and then, uh, Julian comes in carrying Frank and Frank's in the wheelchair. And then this is just like showing how strong Julian is that he's just like carrying the full wheelchair and everything and brings him down the stairs and sets him at the table next to Alex. But you could tell that the tone has completely changed at this point. Like it's uh, a lot more like threatening and menacing on the part of Frank and Julian's just very like intimidating sitting there with his arms crossed and it's got some huge arms cause he's a bodybuilder, like a professional bodybuilder, David Prowse. Um, so, uh, 
is like offering him a bunch of wine. It's like, no, please like drink the wine. And Alex is starting to feel suspicious because, you know, you don't have to be a complete, like the world's greatest empath to realize like that there's some tension in there. And so he's like a little suspicious is like, Oh, aren't you guys going to have some wine? And they're like, no, like none for me. Like, but he still does end up drinking it. Um, and the doorbell rings and the, the friends are there. And it's like, Oh, like I like you to meet some friends of mine and politics. And so they come to the table. They're like, Oh, nice to meet you. Uh, we've heard a lot about you. Um, and so they sit down and, uh, the woman pulls out a notebook and she's like, going to ask him some questions and just starts saying like, Hey, like what, what was the treatment about? Like what, um, what happened? And he's saying like, Oh, like I, um, was inadvertently conditioned against, uh, Beethoven. I was a big Beethoven fan, but now I can't hear it. And just like, Oh, all music. And he's like, no, just Beethoven and just specifically the ninth symphony. Um, so they keep asking him questions and eventually he just passes out and collapses into the, the, you know, falls face first into the plate of spaghetti. And they're like, okay, like he's out. Good. That's good. Um, so this was the plan all along. Obviously he got poisoned and everything. Uh, so he wakes up in a small bedroom uh, but he, he wakes up sick and he's like, oh, I was sick. And then I realized why it's because they're blasting Beethoven's ninth and into the room. And he like is trying to cover his ears and he can, it's too loud. And then it cuts to, then he tries to leave the room, but the door's locked. And so he's like trying to like, let me out, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And then it cuts to uh, Frank downstairs. He's sitting Next in front of uh, the, I think it was a reel to reel player um, with the stereo and everything. And he's sitting at the table and he's looking up at the ceiling and smiling. And then it's a slow zoom out and we see the female friend standing uh, to the left of him um, and Julian to the right. And they're like kind of standing very like posed against the wall, like very contemplative poses and everything. And it zooms out. And then we see that they're at like a table, a pool table with the speakers facing up towards the ceiling. And then we see the other, the male friend. uh, And he's at the um, front of the pool table, just like throwing uh, rolling balls across. And it's just, it's so like, picturesque that's not the word i want um but just the framing is so perfect it's just one of those shots in uh, that kubrick does so well that that's like you could take any frame from that scene and it looks like uh like a renaissance painting like that quality i'm not saying the exact style but that level of artistry that goes into that shot I just loved it and it was amazing. But then cut back to Alex and he's like, just he can't take it anymore and jumps out of the window and hits the, uh, the stone walkway on the ground and then cut away again. And then we see him in the hospital and he's all like, 
bandaged up and he's got all these like screws like to hold him in place and everything so he doesn't move his leg and uh, presumably he's been in a coma for a little bit and he's waking up and the but like the nurse and the doctor are behind a curtain and they're having sex with each other and then they're like oh my god he's awake and then they like come out and like putting their clothes back on um so he wakes up, we see him talking to a psychiatrist and she's, uh, oh, well, first we see, uh, a montage of like articles saying that like, Hey, the guy that got the experimental treatment, um, that all this other bad stuff happened to him and he tried to kill himself and this and this and this. So it's like trying, it's making the government look bad. So like the, these political people used used him to get um, get in their word against the the minister and everything, and saying like, "Oh, this inhumane treatment and everything." Uh, and then we see that his parents come to visit him, and he's like saying like, "Oh, you're not welcome here." But then they're like apologizing, like, "Hey, like we shouldn't have uh, kicked you out and everything that's your home and we're sorry and we realized that we played a part in every and all of this and we love you and we're sorry basically um so then he's talking to the psychiatrist and she's like oh i'm gonna show you uh some slides and i just want you to fill in the blanks and they're basically like a bunch of like cartoons and there's like one quote bubble and then he has to fill in what they would say. And it seems like from this that he is a kind of back to his old self, but cause it, it, he's like filling in the blanks with some of his like chaotic, violent tendencies, but he's not acting on them. So maybe that's the whole point of the treatment is that like, he's not really changed, but he just literally can't act on his compulsions and that's also what the um the priests had to say against the treatment was that like no like he can't really be a good person if he doesn't have free will anymore basically so it's like you're not changing him you're just taking away his free will and taking away his humanity basically um so uh and it's like, oh, like they said, I had a special visitor coming and then we see the special visitor and it's the minister and he's coming to like check on him and everything. But he's also just like and as he's like talking to him, he's uh, feeding him and everything and saying like, hey, like basically like we'll set you up for life, but you just got to help us out with this election coming up and you got to like go out there and show the public that you're a reformed person and you know, and basically like you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours basically. And so he agrees to it. And then the press comes in and they're like all these cameras flashing and they're doing the like typical handshake picture and everything. And they wheel in some speakers to play some music and everything. And they start playing, uh, ode to joy. And it, then it kind of zooms in on his face, his expression changes, and then we see him fantasizing again. He's having this uh, vision of him having sex with a woman, but they're in the snow, and they're being surrounded by all these, like, Dickensian 
like townspeople, like the straight out of a Christmas carol, basically, uh, just like watching and clapping and uh, everything. And then at, in the uh, narration, we get at the last line is like, oh, was I cured? And then credits. And it hits the credits, and then we get the Gene Kelly version of Singing in the Rain from Singing in the Rain that plays over the whole credits until the very end. So that's it. That is A Clockwork Orange. So, very, very interesting movie. Um, I think the first time I watched it was when I had a broken leg in my freshman year of high school, and a family friend brought over like this big tub full of VHS tapes, uh, like all the his whole movie collection, basically, in this big Rubbermaid tub. And so I would just I, I couldn't do anything except sit and watch movies. So I just watch through a bunch of them. And this was one of them and just definitely blew my mind at that age. And then as I got older and watched it again, it was just like. I keep coming back to it just because it's so I always notice something new. Um, I know I say that every time, but it's true. Like, that's why it's great to watch movies a second time, even ones that you think that you didn't like the first time. Sometimes that second try is what really sells it. Um, uh, on initial release, it got uh, it w- had an X rating. Um, and I think just. I don't think anything was edited out as far as I know. I think just over time, it's like, okay, that's just a regular rated R now. Um, There's a few movies like that. Uh, But yeah, very controversial. It was uh, banned in Spain for a moment. Like that was when they had like a dictator though. Uh, There's a a documentary on that on uh, HBO max, but I have not seen that yet. Uh, Nominated for best picture. Best Director for Stanley Kubrick, Best Writing, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, basically, and Best Film Editing. But it did not win any of those Oscars. Um, But yeah, incredible movie. Just, like, very disturbing. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. Uh, And very, I don't know. It just, it, it always has me thinking. And... It's just crazy to see how relevant it still is, but also just, it's just, it still holds up. It still holds up and I can't wait to watch it again. I always enjoy it. I always pick up something new. I'm sorry. I'm getting so repetitive, but that's just like, it's one of those movies that I just, when it ends, I'm just like, "Mm, man, that was good. And, but then my, my brain goes to mush. And I'm surprised I even got through recording this because I just <laughs> I just can't think except for like, ah, oh, that was good. And then I'm just picturing the scenes that stick out and everything like that. So thank you for sticking through this. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you all continue to listen. Um, please get in there on the Instagram. Uh, any questions, just DM me and stuff like that. Suggestions, stuff like that. I'm going to try to be more active with like polls and things like that, other than just the posts about like the upcoming episodes and when they're out and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, the Instagram is at movies. They're pretty good with no punctuation or anything like that um 
but yes, please follow. Uh, that's the social media where I'm the most active, but I also have a Facebook, Twitter, and a YouTube channel where you might be listening to it on there anyway. Um, so yeah, thanks again. Uh, I hope you guys stick around for next week and I hope everyone is having a great week. Uh, also, uh, stay tuned later this week. I'm going to do, uh, some bonus episodes throughout the Oscar season. Um, just, uh, the first one being just going through all the nominees and talking about which ones I've seen and which ones I recommend and just my thoughts going forward. And then I'll kind of update that throughout the season and then do one final one after the Oscar ceremony. So yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, just everyone have a great week. Thanks.